0: Welcome to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We are located at 3501 Cheviot Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio. It is our mission to worship and follow Jesus as we love and serve in his name. Come see us sometime at 10 30 on a Sunday morning or while we feed the community at the Bread of Life Cafe each Wednesday evening at 5 30 p.m. We hope that the following message inspires you in some way today. Let's pray together as we begin. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, may the words of our mouth and even the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our God, our rock, and our Redeemer. That is humbling to consider that through your Holy Spirit, even the motivations of our heart can be pleasing to you. That our deepest thoughts can be thoughts of reverence. Because of the great work of your Holy Spirit living inside of us. Actively guiding us, training us, encouraging us, guiding us, disciplining us, challenging us to be more and more like you. Lord God, you are welcome here. We've come today to fellowship, to encourage, to connect, to worship, to do these spiritual rituals that mean something to us, that connect us to you, that remind us of things that are true and good and holy and eternal. And these things matter. You matter to us. We know without a doubt that we matter to you as well. Way before we said your name, way before we confessed you as Lord, you have always loved us. You've shown that in tangible, tangible and practical ways, and we appreciate you for that. May this message today be an encouragement, a challenge, and, and may it bring us closer uh, individually and as a group uh, towards you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love this story in 2 Samuel Uh, Central Kids. Sorry, that was my fault. That was a smooth transition. Central Kids, head on downstairs with Miss Laura. You got a lot of work to do to get ready for next week. So good luck. Work hard. We love you. I love this story in uh, Second Samuel. I'm, I have an affinity towards stories, of, you know, about David. I think just naturally, as a, a child being named that, uh, I was naturally drawn to learn about him as a young man. Fortunate enough to have a lot of stories about David in the Bible, and just always been uh, drawn towards him. Uh, my parents named my little brother Jonathan. We called him JP, but it was, you know, David and Jonathan was the was the thought there. So. Uh, When I was thinking about what to speak about uh, today, a couple themes uh, came to my mind and we're going to try to hit on those and be uh, specific with them. The first one is something that we've been talking a lot about uh, in youth group and a lot about uh, in the leadership team and that is Christian discipleship. Seems like that word has been continually coming to our hearts. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Jesus. the way that I would say it, at least right now at 47 in January and this year, whatever, this is what I think about it. That Christian discipleship is a process of choosing to follow Jesus. Discipleship is a lifelong process and a moment-by-moment decision to choose to humble yourselves before Jesus. Jesus. And to choose to be like him as you continue to follow and invite others to do the same. A part of Christian discipleship is choosing to get on and stay on the path of followership of Jesus Christ. It's a big path. It's a long path. Uh, No one probably is on the exact same place on the path. And that's okay but encouraging each other to get on and stay on the path. As a disciple of Jesus, we learn to recognize and remember his words. Has that been true in your life? As you've spent time with the Lord, as you've spent time with the Bible, have the words of Jesus, the the holy scriptures, have they sunk deeper into your hearts? Do you know more about the Bible and about Jesus than you did when you first started I think that's a a tangible part of discipleship is learning and recognizing the biblical story and then more than just learning and remembering and recognizing it is to choose to live in those ways that's the next step Disciples learn to pray to God through Jesus as the Holy Spirit makes a permanent dwelling in our hearts. That's mystical to me. That's mind-blowing to me. I don't understand, but man, I'm thankful that God has made a place in each of our hearts. That Jesus, after his uh, resurrection, before his ascension, he basically said to all of his followers, I can't wait To go to heaven because someone even greater than me is going to come. And I think the greater is that Jesus could be at a place, but God in his Holy Spirit can be everywhere with all of us. That God himself can live in his followers. And Jesus was excited to give us that. Disciples very simply choose to act like Jesus by choice, not by force, not by coercion, not, not by any, uh, uh, nobody's making you. Disciples choose to act like Jesus, to respond like Jesus. As I've listened to my prayers over the years, one steady one has been, may my first response be like you. May my first response be the right response to whatever situation. And I am absolutely a work in progress shoot I do not impress myself often with my responses but I know that God is working in me and I know that he's faithful I know that God wants me to have the right responses to situations to see things the way that he sees them and to respond the way he does I know that he's faithful I know he'll answer that prayer I know he has been Disciples of Jesus have learned to teach like Jesus. Jesus was, of all the things that Jesus was, one of them was a masterful teacher. He could connect to the learned, he could connect to the common, he could connect to children, he could connect to the ones that share the same race and cultural tradition as him, he could relate to those who who didn't. An amazing teacher Jesus is and was. Disciples learn to teach like Jesus because what's the purpose? To connect Jesus to the hearts of men women, people. A great way to do that is by being a great teacher. And you guys all know this. You can name great teachers that you've had in your life. You can name miserable ones. We want to be good teachers, learn to teach like Jesus. Disciples not only learn to teach like Jesus, but we learn to love like Jesus. Disciples learn to forgive like Jesus. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. We learn to forgive like Jesus. We have not been treated as our deeds deserve. Thank God. How do we forgive? Move through the process of hurt and anger and regret and disappointment and frustration to get to that forgiveness Forgiving doesn't mean everything's okay and everyone, you're a doormat. That's not, that's not it at all. But forgiveness is a gift from God that we've received through Jesus to be able to let go in Jesus' name and to treat people the way that we've been treated. Disciples learn to live in community like Jesus did. When his ministry kicked off, one of the very first things, he gathered people around him in community. And this is not shallow or superficial this is deep community and that's a core aspect of discipleship is allowing yourself to be in deep community where the truth about you is known and the truth about others are known and the intention is to get closer to God to draw each other into deeper relationships I don't, I, mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with superficial, but that's just not the end goal. Hey, how you doing? I mean, I'm doing pretty good. Sometimes you have to say that stuff. Sometimes it's just not the right time. But in community, we got to be able to get there. Disciples learn to give generously like Jesus did. They learn to sacrifice like Jesus They choose to meet needs like Jesus. They choose to invite and accept people like Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are followers of Jesus before and more they are anything else. Followership of Jesus Christ, Christianity, has to take the highest level. That's that's our playing field. That's where we can all come together There's a million things to distract us and for us to disagree about. But as Christians, we put Jesus on the the throne of lordship. And we are Christian more than we are anything else. No matter how much you love it or how much it's part of your history or your family culture or your traditional beliefs or whatever it might be. That's at the top. Jesus teaches us that. Disciples making disciples is a Jesus given job for all followers. We call it the Great Commission. It's Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And I'll always be with you, even to the very end, Jesus says. And I just want to encourage you that, that teaching is an ongoing process, and we know that. Have you ever had to share the same teaching with your children? Have you ever, been to told, have, have you ever had to be told more than once to do something? Has it ever taken you, your hard heart a little while to learn something that you want to do isn't so good to do? And that's the kind of attitude that we need to have with each other, too. It's not kind of the attitude. It's the attitude that we need to have with each other, too. Is that we encourage each other to take that next step in, in discipleship, in followership. We gently, kindly, lovingly point each other back towards Jesus. We don't kick each other out of the bus when we disagree about a point or a topic or somebody blows it or screws up. There's a great example of this in Acts chapter 2. And if you want to turn your uh, Bible there, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Thelma, if you want to get to it on your iPhone, that's fine. Super happy to have the Canes with us today. Just beautiful, godly people. Love you guys. Happy that you're here. Uh, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, is a great example of Christian discipleship at work. We've used this for a lot of examples, but look at the look at the depth uh, of all of this. They, these, these early believers, uh, Jesus' uh, death and resurrection and ascension has happened. Uh, Peter has preached at Pentecost. The church is, is being formed, and these people are saying, uh I'm going to take Jesus and followership of him seriously. And they started to formulate what that looks like. And this was one of their first big goes at it. And man, you talk about the first response being the right response. These guys and gals nailed it. I mean, good job here. Great example. For this to be one of their real first tries at it, goodness. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They take the words of Jesus in the Bible seriously. Of course, they take scripture seriously. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And again, that's just not being together and what about those bangles and and all this other superficial stuff. This is interaction. This is life together. Connection. Breaking of bread into prayer. Prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Is is that even possible? What do you think that means? They agreed on everything. Oh, like the rest of the Bible wouldn't have to be written if that was the case. The whole rest of the Bible... If they had everything in common, they agreed with everyone, and they were like super good and kind and Jesus-like all the time, just rip out Romans to Revelation, just rip it out. It's not true. That's not what having everything in common meant. It's like they had the thing in common. Jesus. Life. They, They actually sold their property and possessions so that other people wouldn't be in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Of course. Of course he did. Continue to read the biblical narrative. You know that this wasn't without difficulty. It wasn't without suffering. It wasn't in the absence of illness or hardship. They were living life gladly together. And God was blessing it. And that's possible. It's desirous. It's beautiful. It's infectious in a good way. It's contagious in a good way. I say all that to say an area of Christian discipleship that I want to touch on today and use Second Samuel chapter 12 as an idea of, of what disciples do and how they act. And I think this is an important one for us. It's an important one for me. I think it's an important one for our church. In 2 Samuel, we see two sides of a coin. We see two followers of God acting in different ways. And it's a really beautiful narrative, and we can take great Christian examples from both Nathan and King David. Examples on how to speak to one another. Examples on how do we call each other closer to God? How do we confront and combat sin in each other's lives? How do we remain humble before the Lord? What does confession look like? Let's read that together again. Jason thank you for uh, reading that for us. Second Samuel chapter 12 and I'm going to read through verse 13 this time. And uh, just a second and if I forget which I'm prone to do remind me why I asked Jason to stop where he did with Nathan looking at David saying you're the man. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man was very, had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had brought. He raised it, sorry, he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared food and drank from, the, from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hands of Saul. I gave you your mas- uh, gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if this had been too little... I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. But I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. Can we admit that that's hard for us in 2022 to read? Can we admit that we don't understand some things there? That some of these things don't make sense to us. From a very young age, I've always appreciated the biblical narrative because it doesn't always just tell the pretty. It's one of those things, for me, that's helped confirm the veracity and the truth of the Bible. Why would these stories be shared? King David is a celebrated figure. Jesus is from his line. It's one of the promises. Why would this story be shared this way? Those are hard for me, admittedly. Reading parts of the story is difficult. I want to focus on Nathan and I want to focus on David in this story and see if we can learn something about Christian discipleship. Let's first look at it from Nathan's perspective. And as Christians, I want to remind us of, of, of a verse in James. Maybe you heard it, maybe you haven't. It's in, it's in James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins one to another, and you'll be healed. A prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, James says. That's the brother of Jesus. says that. Confess your sins one to another. So the point that I want to say here is that at any point in our Christian discipleship, you might be the prophet or you might be the confessor. You might be giving the confession, admit admittance, or you might be receiving it as we give it to the Lord for forgiveness. That's, it's not just the minister's job to be ministerial here. We are all pastors to one another, accepting confession and prayerfully giving it to the Lord. Also, none of us are above confession. None of us are greater than than our mistakes. We, We all are prone. We all not only make mistakes, but dang it, we have character flaws. And I hate to admit that. Man, we have rudeness ingrained in us. Selfishness, lustfulness, arrogance. It's deep, and it comes out in the worst ways. and it's embarrassing. I hate it. God will deliver us from that. I believe in Jesus' name through his Holy Spirit he can deliver it. But my goodness, we all need to be willing to confess, regardless of our age, regardless of our station, regardless of what... All of us need prayer. All of us need to actively confess to the Lord. But the point I want to make here is that at any time in this story, I think it's important for us to be able to identify with both Nathan and David here. Because we could take both roles in a sense. How do we as Christians challenge each other to be more like Christ? That's a real question. That's one that I have wrestled and struggled and just wept over. I want to be great at this, but it ain't easy. How do we tell each other the truth in a way that each of us can hear with the purpose not of shaming or disparaging or embarrassing or with the sole purpose of calling each other back to the Lord. That's it. That's Nathan's only purpose here and he stays on point and I appreciate it. Bud, you're not acting like God. in these ways and he found a way where he could capture David's heart he learned a a method or God led him in one whatever I mean all glory to God for everything that's fine either Nathan figured it out or God gave it or whatever it was there was a way given to Nathan that could capture David's heart that could convict him and spur him we need to learn to do that with each other find a way to say important things to each other so that we hear it, but for the purpose of getting us closer to the Lord. That's critical in discipleship. So the question is, if you're David in this situation, are you, are you, do you have any allowance in your life for a Nathan? Have you cultivated a Nathan for you that you allow voice in your life? That you're not, your first words are, you know, get out of here. Or to disparage that person or to put them, oh, you know what? You're going to tell me that? Well, not that. But have you invited and cultivated a Nathan in your life that you've given a place of trustworthiness that he or she can say to you, Bud, what's going on, man? What are you doing? And you'll listen to them. Because Christian counsel is critical for for our walk. Christianity is absolutely a team sport. We've got to be willing to send the truth, to say it, and to receive it. And it's not easy. Admittedly, I'm not saying follow this 12 step program, it's not easy, but it's critical. Nathan was a person that David allowed in his life. And we need to be like that. Nathan was a person. When when this prophecy came to Nathan, however it did, his first thought wasn't, man, you bet. I'm on it. I'm your guy. I guarantee it. Nobody wants this job. Calling each other into deeper accountability. To claim and name sins? To to put it out? In my opinion, Nathan's willingness to go to David is similar, give me some grace here, to Jesus saying, I don't want to go to the cross, but whatever you say, I will. That prayer in the garden I think there's some ties there. From David's standpoint, he could have used things at his disposal to brush away Nathan. But to his credit, he didn't. He allowed the teaching and he heard it as a message from God. Nathan didn't disparage David. He didn't... Make him out to be a, a terrible person and parade him around and give him these ultimatums. No, nothing like this. He told him the truth about followership of God and blessed David's heart honestly. He accepted it. We need to be like Nathan in, in our willingness to share the truth. To not disparage the person. Love the person But we've got to be able to call that sin and and claim it and and get it confessed and, and move closer. And we've got to have a heart that's willing to confess that when the truth of our weaknesses, our sinfulness is brought, we need to be able to say, you know, you're right. And I wish this was something that you would grow out of at some point. Years ago, I was uh, spending the day with uh, Pat Boyd. He had his farm out in Indiana. A great, great man, an elder here. Um, and I would go fishing at his at his place. Gene and I would, and others, Nate, my buddy, and I would. And sometimes I'd just go out there for the day. He'd let me drive the tractor, move hay around, whatever, feed the cows, and then I'd go fishing or something like that. And we got talking. One day, we got talking one day just about being a man of God. We got talking about being a man of God. And he said those words to me. He's probably in his 70s at that time. David, I wish I could tell you that lust just kind of goes away. But it doesn't. That living for the Lord and the temptations lessen as you get older as a man, but they don't. You got to fight them. And I appreciated that honesty. A godly man willing to tell a young man of God the truth. And that didn't sour me. Oh, how can you be a man of God and still say you struggle with lust? Ooh. Isn't it true that we all have something? And that we all need the Lord. And we all need to be Nathan at times and we all need to be David at times. The reason I had Jason stop at that 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 pointed place in the story where Nathan says to David, you're the man, you're the rich man that took the the, the lamb from the poor man and ripped it out of his house and and you were arrogant enough to do that and you were selfish enough to do that and you are him, you are what you hate. You are what you say has to die. The reason I said that because it stuck out to me Nathan uses the words, King David, you are the man. And the thought that I had is that a lot of us want to have people around us that tell us, man, you're the man. You are the man. I love everything you do. I respect everything you do. You are right in everything you do. You are handsome and strong and smart. You, mean, you handle every situation so well. You're so generous. Anywhere you go, I'll go. I want to be like you. You're the man. But we need people in our lives that will say, no, man, you're the man. You did this. And you're not awful or despic- despicable. Despicable. You don't need to be kicked out. You don't need to be embarrassed. We've got to get this right. We've got to get this admitted and confessed and repented over. We've got to move forward. That's the message about Christian discipleship that I had to share today. May each of us be desirous of it and willing to participate in it. And may God bless us every step of the way. Our Holy Father, we come to you today asking for these things that are true to be true in us. That this hard-hearted, callous, arrogance, unwillingness to change, that it will be removed from us. And that we will be soft-hearted and pliable and malleable and shapeable in your capable hands that we will invite nathans into our life that we allow us to tell the truth people that love you and that love us and we will we allow and that we will allow this, the, the example of king david to ring true and to be true in us that when confronted, will be confessional, repentant, apologetic, willing to change in your name for your glory. May these words that are true be true in us. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Steve.